episode of our Healthy Relationships series, we wanted to learn more about educational initiatives to support healthy relationship development among young people. We spoke with Liza Henry, a graduate student in social work and public health, to learn more about this important public health topic. We hope you enjoy our interview with this incredible graduate student and experienced youth worker. So my name is Liza Henry. I'm currently a dual degree public health and social work graduate student. Um, before I returned to graduate school, I worked as the youth engagement director at a synagogue in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I was in various positions at the synagogue over many, many years, um, and all of which included working on the comprehensive sex ed program that they have. Um, so the final year I was there, my first year of grad school, I still ran that program for them. It's, um, it's a program that takes a lot of knowledge and, and just experience. Um, so I was training in the new person as, I, as they were coming in and I was leaving. Yeah, so how did you become interested in uh, youth work and focusing on relationship health? So I grew up very in, in high school, I was really involved in our youth group. And um, when I started college, I also started working at the synagogue that I ended up working full time at later in life. And um, my first year, I was working with the seventh graders and the seventh graders have, you know, that's the, that's kind of a critical year um, in Judaism. It's when they have their bar and bar mitzvahs. And one big part of that year is talking about protecting your body and protecting health. Um, and one piece of that is a retreat that focuses on sexuality education. So I had already been involved in youth work as a youth, and then that was kind of my transition to being involved in youth work as, um, as an adult, as a youth worker. So I continued that work. Um, that was my first year working with this program, and then I came back to work with this program every single year, even when I was doing other things because I found the program so valuable um, in thinking about uh, setting teens up to make thoughtful decisions about relationships, about their health, um, and not just romantic relationships, but also, you know, the bigger picture of relationships. And youth work is all about relationship, building relationships with youth. And so I found that to be such a critical piece of it, having built relationships with the teens that sets you up to have these deeper conversations, have awkward conversations, you know, talk about things that are hard for a lot of people to talk about. Um, so relationship is kind of key in all of that. So then why, um, from your perspective, are healthy relationships, um, particularly among youth, something that we should be particularly concerned about in public health? Um, and what are the potential consequences of ignoring this issue? I mean, relationships are really at the center of being human. Um, and youth are at a really interesting, teens in particular, at a really interesting point in life where they're not quite kids anymore, but they're also not quite adults. And they're navigating what relationships look like, whether that be parent-child relationships or friendships or romantic relationships. All of these are changing so quickly 
and teenagers are constantly being friends with one person and then friends with a different person and they're navigating what it looks like to have mature relationships and that has a huge impact on their mental health which then also can have a huge impact on their physical health um and not and in just thinking about like thinking about friendships to start with the way that teens are interacting with their friends can have such a wide impact on their whole life um, if they feel supported by their friends, if they feel bullied by friends or other people at school, if they are spending all their time with a romantic partner and not spending any time with other friends, all of these things can shift their, their wellness. And obviously there's also really unhealthy relationships, which can have a huge impact on their mental health. Um, and abusive relationships can have an impact on mental health, physical health, all of the above. Um, so if we care about mental health, if we care about youth learning how to have mature adult relationships and um, healthy relationships going forward, if we care about rates of suicide amongst our teens, which are very, very high right now, and then of course, you know, then you jump into all of the STDs and um, and sexual assault and all of these things. They're, they all stem from if teens are able to be in healthy relationships, recognize healthy relationships. Obviously, some things are outside of their control. Um, abuse can be outside of their control. But if we can equip them with the skills to understand what a healthy relationship looks like, if they're in a really bad situation, then they at least know where they can go to to get support. So we want them to have healthy relationships so that they can just generally be healthy, but also so that they have support in case they're in a situation, whether they're when they're a youth or as an adult, that they have the support they need. That's a great segue actually into our next question, um, which is how would you describe a healthy relationship? It can look a lot of different ways. Uh, the program that I ran, what we focused on, and we were, you know, when we talked about healthy relationships in, within the context of the, the sex ed program, we were talking about romantic relationships, but I think a lot of it applies to non-romantic relationships as well. So we would talk about a relationship where you're gonna be making sexual choices, whether it's to kiss or whether it's to have intercourse, whether you know at some point in life you're deciding if you wanna potentially have a child, all of these decisions relate to your sexual health. If you're gonna be in a relationship like that, you should have three things. That's the relationship should be holy, meaning it's different than other relationships, not that it's necessarily religious, just that it's unique and sacred and different from others, that it's committed at whatever level that means for that behavior at that age, and it's mature. So again, whatever that means for that level and that age. And we framed that in that way because it really helps the teens, first of all, listen. So we're not saying you can never be in a relationship or you can't make choices unless you're married or whatever it is. It helps them think about what are the characteristics of healthy relationships? What are the things I need to be able to trust these, this other person when I'm making this decision? So those three things I think make a really good basis for thinking about even 
friendships. You know, if I'm in, if I have a friend and I want to be able to tell them something that's really hard, you know, is it a friendship that's unique and special between the two of us? Is it um, one where I feel like it's mature enough to handle whatever I'm going to tell them? And is it, is this friend committed to me in a way that they care about my health and well-being? So I think that those three things are really great for guiding it because healthy relationships can look very different amongst different people. You know, some people, a healthy relationship involves talking a lot. And some people, it involves doing a lot of sitting next to each other and reading a book. And both of those are okay, as long as you are in a situation where you're communicating your needs, that you're seeing each other as um, whole individuals, that you're meeting kind of those three, you see those three pieces within that relationship. Um, Our next question is, can you share a specific example about um, how education about healthy relationships improves the health and well-being of young people in the communities that you serve or have served? I think the program that I used to run, um, one of the things I loved most about it was that we had 11th and 12th graders, um, which they had their own program um, as well. But for the seventh grade program, we had 11th and 12th graders that were mentors for our seventh graders. Uh, So we, they had been through the program themselves. And then they came back when they were older. And they did a lot of the teaching. Um, They were trained by myself, by other educators. And they had, it was halfway through the school year. So they already had built relationships with the younger youth and it was really it's really powerful to see those older youth come back and share their knowledge their experiences and it's you know it's specifically you know they're not sharing their you know their relationship experiences but they're sharing their wisdom um, and they're teaching these youth and then you have teens that come to to myself or to other educators we've had involved when they're older and they can come to us knowing we're trusted adults who understand who are here to listen um so we have youth who come back and say hey i'm having this problem can we talk through it um my boyfriend this or this person i like that and they're able to process with us and they have the language to talk about these things and some of them even come back and report hey, I, I was able to talk to my significant other about this thing because I knew the words to say. And they had a really hard time with it because they didn't know what to say or we worked through it together. Um, so you, they both have somebody, they have somebody to come to or the, really a network of adults because sometimes they come back to the, the adult staff that are involved. Sometimes they continue to talk to their mentors who you know, 11th and 12th graders are quickly becoming adults and going into college and all of that. So sometimes our younger youth are coming back to those mentors year after year, and they just have this language. On the unfortunate side for other teens, we often hear that our teens coming back and saying, oh my goodness, my school sex ed was so bad. I feel like I'm educating everybody around me. They don't know what they're talking about, Um, which to me says we're doing a good job but also that we have a lot of work to do beyond our little program. 
That's a really, really great segue into our next question too, is that what do you see as some of the biggest barriers to healthy relationship education or sexuality education? I think that it's so ingrained in our society that these ideas are about morals and values, which some of them are. A lot of it is about values. And we so often see it not represented properly. You know, it's, it's seen as a um, solely religious thing. Um, it's seen as a, your family makes all these decisions about what is and is not okay. And it's seen as something that's only about sex. And this work is about way more than sex. The, uh, the curriculum that a lot of the work I did was based off of is, is called Our Whole Lives. It's from the Unitarian Universalist Church and the, the Church of the UCC, Uni- Universal Church of Christ. So they're the ones that sponsor it, but they created a secular curriculum and then they have their own kind of supplements for their own churches. Uh, but the curriculum itself is called Our Whole Lives because it literally is a whole lifelong curriculum. So you can get the curriculum for preschoolers and kindergartners, and you can, they're actually working on one for like older adults right now as well. And that's really what, I mean, that's so true is that this, this idea is lifelong. So we need to talk to our youngest youth, our, our little ones about, you know, my body belongs to me, and I can hug grandma if I want to, or maybe I would just want to give grandma a high five, or maybe I'm feeling really shy today, and all of those are okay. And that's setting kids up and adults up for having healthy relationships and understanding boundaries and consent. And those are, those are just basic things. It's not about religion. It's not about any particular way of living. It's just simply understanding that we all have autonomy, and in relationships, we need to respect that autonomy. So I think we have a lot of work to do in terms of helping people understand that what we're trying to teach our young people is how to navigate relationships and how to be thoughtful, be respectful, and see each other as whole beings and not just somebody for their body or somebody for this one piece of who they are, but really that, you know, within our program, we talk about this idea of Betelem Elohim, um, which is Hebrew for made like in the image of God. Um, and we talk about it often from a very secular viewpoint because our teens are all over the place in their understanding of how they feel about a higher power and such. And the idea is just, if I'm made in this image and you're made in this image, then we both need to respect that we are whole individual human beings. And sometimes I explain it to the teens like, of us is the same, like genetically. So if I'm the same genetically and you're the same genetically, then we need a similar to the idea of made in the image of God. We each deserve respect. We each deserve dignity. We each deserve empathy. And we deserve to feel as a whole being. Um, And that's what we need to think about. And that's what we need to be able to talk about Um, especially at a time like right now where we're seeing a lot of um, people not seeing each other as whole beings. So how can people who are working to develop healthy relationship education draw support from other people working in other uh, areas of public health? 
I think that all of our work is and should be interdisciplinary. I think that one of the the challenges is we, you know, healthy relationship education tends to live in the world of education and public health doesn't always get into the world of education in a really connecting way. Um, So I think that we as public health professionals could do a lot better job of connecting with our educators who, I mean, our schools are providing all kinds of public health services. Um, And we're often connecting with the nurses. We're often connecting with the, the food service staff. And of course, like the administration, we're not actually often connecting with the educators themselves. And maybe also some schools use their social workers to, to teach this kind of curriculum. So I think what would be really beneficial is if we, as the public health side, reached out and said, how can we support what you're doing? Because yes, there are definitely public health folks who are doing this kind of work, but so much of it lies within the classroom in a school. So thinking about, can we, from our our sexual assault prevention departments, from our STD monitoring departments, you know, thinking about all of these different departments that we have that touch on these issues, how are we reaching out to our educators? How are we giving them support and partnering with them? And partnering with them for us also means that we then have a connection to these youth to talk about relationships and also all of these other things, connecting them with all of these other services that we offer that we know that our partners in the Department of Human Services offer Um, And really, if we can do a better job of being a more connected, coordinated system, I think that would be really beneficial. And as we all know, our teachers need as much support and cheerleading as possible because they're doing a lot of hard work. And honestly, not all teachers who are teaching sex ed are trained to teach sex ed. They're often just thrown in there. Or in my experience, a lot of them are gym teachers. So great. They know a lot about how the, you know, muscles work, but they don't necessarily know how to teach about relationships. So they might teach the basics of how our bodies work, but there's a lot, a lot more there to teach. So if we can give them that support and help them with the language, with, you know, they're not necessarily trained in reproductive health. They're trained in kinesiology and that kind of stuff. And that's important and also not the basis to be teaching comprehensive sex education, healthy relationships, you know, all of these healthy decision-making pieces. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about maybe the role of like policy and funding in those partnerships um, and and interdisciplinary work in general. I think policy is one of our biggest uphill battles when it comes to sex ed. Um, because there is a large contingent of people who don't want to see sex ed in our schools. Um, It's often the people who are not seeing the whole scope of what sex ed is and what it means. And often a lot of those people never had high quality sex ed themselves. So they're working on a basis of possible misunderstanding of what we're talking about. So I think there's a lot of space as public health professionals, as 
comprehensive sex educators as relationships educators to work with those communities to help them understand what our goals are. Our goals are not simply to teach your kid how to wear a condom. Our goals are to help them make decisions that can affect their mind, their body, you know, their whole being. And if we can meet them there, then I think we can create policies that allow for more of this education to happen. We've continued to be stuck in this battle with those who oppose sex ed and everybody else, Um, which everybody else has, you know, a wide variety of ideas of what sex ed is and how it should be taught and all of that. And that's where the conversation should be, not in the, we should have it or not, because we should have it. It's really valuable. And if we can help people understand what it really is, then I think that we can create policy that shores up funding for this kind of work. Um, And in talking about partnering with educators, I think that there could be space to use some of the funding that we have for public health programs and direct it toward the schools. I don't know all of the inner workings of how public health funding in schools can partner, but I think that there's, that's a great opportunity to find funds for that education to happen, to find funds to train the people who are providing this education and to support that work. Um, But I think that at the end of the day, we need to all get on the same page about what we're talking about so that we can get rid of the policies that are so, that it creates such big barriers to actually making this happen. Kind of piggybacking off of that, what are you seeing as major trends in health, uh, healthy relationship education and maybe where, where some of these partnerships are being formed? And then what are you seeing maybe in the people that you're working with, like the teens? Um, what are you seeing with uh, like changes in relationships in recent years or um, just in general, um, what healthy relationship uh, discussion looks like in youth these days? I think one of the really great things we're seeing is the youth are way more educated about consent, that they're coming into our programs with some idea of what that means already, which is really awesome. Um, I've also seen over the course of my time in the pro- working with the program, which was about 11 years that I was actively working with the program, the understanding of LGBTQ issues is it's like night and day. Um, So our youth are coming in with some familiarity of that, with a lot of normalization of it, um, and with curiosity about how do I understand myself? How do I understand my gender? How do I understand my own sexual orientation? So those pieces, I think, make such a big difference in being able to move the conversation forward and get dig in deeper than where we could you know, in 2009, where you had to start more with the basics. Um, So now we can review the basics and dig in deeper, uh, which is really, really awesome. And I think what I'm also seeing is there are more programs out there, not necessarily connected with schools, but I'm seeing healthcare centers that have programs for teens to learn how to become like peer educators. We're seeing a lot of opportunities to become peer educators, which I think is really awesome because I think that 
especially when talking about things like sex and relationships, there's such value in hearing it from somebody your own age or somebody just a little bit older than you. Um, and over the years when I was running the program, I stepped back further and further and further, letting other people like take the mic per se, because they don't, a bunch of seventh graders don't need to hear me talk all day long about sex. Um, it's so valuable for them to hear other perspectives. And when you have a bunch of 11th and 12th graders or young adult staff who are in college, who are there and who are engaged and excited to talk about this and have been trained, all of those perspectives are so valuable and all of the ways that each individual person can talk about this and frame it and share aspects of their own lived experiences. Not necessarily like sharing the gritty details of their own sex lives, but sharing, you know, we had a teen who um, identified as lesbian and she shared some of her experience of discovering what that means for her. Or we had another teen who shared that uh, with the seventh graders, took that as the opportunity to share that they were using they, them pronouns. Um, and so they were seeing not only this is what we're learning about, this is what we're experiencing, this is real life. So there are a lot of really awesome things happening um, as much as social media has areas of detriment to our youth. There's also areas where they're seeing and learning things that they never had access to. Um, they're seeing people out there being themselves and they're seeing examples of people talking about healthy relationships in a way that we've never had before. So kind of the, the positive side of social media can be this access um, to communities, to ideas that our teens never saw before, and especially for those teens who maybe aren't feeling like they have peer support in their everyday life, they might find that peer support and learn um, and build relationships with people who do understand them, um, especially thinking about our kids who are in living maybe in more conservative areas, but are also feeling like they want to explore their gender and sexuality. Um, it's a great way for them to, to connect and there, there are good high quality resources out there. There are also some really bad ones, <laughs> um, but there are some. And I think that as the professionals in the field, we can, help guide those in putting out our own content that is valuable, well-researched, being a resource for teens from various areas. Um, I mean, we're very much today living in a almost entirely internet world for a lot of us, and having those resources online can be really valuable, especially as teens are like completely cut off from any kind of community. Our last question for you is how can people become more involved in um, or support work in advancing healthy relationship education in their own communities? I think it depends on your community. So I think in some communities that are not seeing any kind of comprehensive sex ed, um, getting involved in the schools and getting involved in pushing for curriculum in the school that talks about healthy relationships. And if you need to frame it as simply healthy relationships and not even touch on sex ed, that's fine. Because sex is just a, one aspect of all of this. 
and even in, in less conservative areas, like I said, we're also not seeing the best comprehensive sex ed in our more urban, <clears throat> urban environments either. So, or our more progressive environments. Some schools are great, but by and large, what they're providing, if, if they're providing something, it's not necessarily the best. Um, so in general, getting involved with your schools, if you have kids in, in a school, then you have you know, a, an in already in talking to other parents, in talking to teachers and administration about what this could look like, and starting not just in middle school, we know that kids, first of all, we know that kids are starting to develop and go through puberty earlier. We know that kids have relationships of all kinds starting as babies. You know, people live in relationships. So thinking about what it is to teach healthy relationships at a young age, what it means for that kindergarten classroom to talk about if they want to, like, if you want to give your friend a hug or a high five. Um, having those conversations from a young age and helping the school system recognize they can do that work without it necessarily being controversial. And then in a lot of areas, you can get involved with organizations, particularly like organizations that are serving youth and volunteer. So the in St. Paul, there's the Family Tree Clinic, and they have volunteer sex educators that meet with patients to provide education. Um, so I had a teen at one point who, who needed to go there to get a pregnancy test. And after the pregnancy test, they had this teen sit down with a volunteer sex educator and talk about options for birth control um, and help this teen understand what was available to her um, and what everything kind of looked like and felt like. And this teen asked me to come along with them. So I went along with them and it was really lovely. Um, and this was a guy who's probably in his late seventies um, and likely retired and chose to spend his time doing this. So there are definitely opportunities for engaging in doing this work, being trained in how to do some of this work um, and volunteering to, to serve Family Tree Clinic serves more than teens, but youth are a large portion of their, their clients. So I think that those are two of the biggest ways to be involved. And of course, if you're looking at policy, keeping in touch with your representatives, um, your city council, your state representatives, those, that can all make a huge difference in helping our states pass and our cities pass um, bills that fund this kind of work. And I'll also say that if you are involved in a religious community or a faith community, there's some, some have really, really awesome programs. Um, I know that a lot of UU churches do uh, comprehensive sex ed, um, but I think that there's a big opportunity within faith communities, within churches and mosques and synagogues and, and all of that to, to think about relationships because that's what, a lot of religion is based off of as well. Um, and that in our religious spaces can often have a huge impact on how our youth think about, about relationships and what they internalize about how to act in a relationship. So I think there's definitely opportunity there um, to embed some of that in whatever the religious education is. 
Before we close this episode, let's return to our quiz. The answers were one, Sherlock and Watson from Sherlock Holmes. Two, Buzz and Woody from Toy Story. Three, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Four, Key and Peele. Five, Cleopatra and Mark Antony. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Perspectives. We would love to hear your thoughts and reactions to this episode. Please connect with us on Twitter or Facebook with the tag at Hub Health Review. Thank you.